going to go back to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here. And if you need a Bible this morning, there should be some hardback black ones there in the chairs around you. Feel free to grab one of those and follow along with us as well. Uh, We've been in a, a new series this fall called Defining the Relationships. And we've been looking at all the different types of relationships in our lives and how we can put Christ first in those relationships and what God's Word tells us about that. And so um, the last couple of weeks have been on marriage. And uh, last week we dealt with the husband's role in marriage. And today we're going to look at the wife's role in marriage as God talks about it in His Word. And that's going to be primarily Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And we're also going to tag Genesis chapter 2 this morning as well. So if you want to put something over in Genesis 2, you can do that, uh, and we'll get there a little bit later. Also, before I dive in this morning, we're going to do the same thing this week that we did last week, which is at the end of the sermon, we're going to have a little Q&A time for you. Uh, my wife, Courtney, is going to join me up here on the stage, and um, we're just going to field any questions that you have about marriage, uh, about the message today, specifically the wives' role in marriage. If you have something left over from last week, from the husband's role, if you were discussing that this week, and maybe some things <laughs> came up at home, uh, you can ask those questions as well. Um, and so if you have questions for that, please text those to the number on the screen, and then we'll try to answer those the best we can at the end of the service and hopefully be helpful to you in that way as well, okay? So text those in, and we'll get to those at the end. So when I first um, told my wife, Courtney, that I thought God was calling us to plant a church, um, she said, nope, only crazy people do that. And uh, she was right, um, but uh, God was calling us to be those crazy people in this particular instance. And so, um, but when we went out to do that, it was, it was really difficult. We came to St. Louis to start the process, and it was just Courtney and I. We were the only ones committed, really, to the church at that point in time. And so we started sharing the vision of the type of church that God had called us to plant here. And, um, and slowly but surely, God started bringing people on board and adding to that number, and we were thankful for that. But we got about to the five-month mark, and we just kind of hit a wall. Like, we got to like 30 or 35 people, and then we would gain a few, and then lose a few, and gain a few, and lose a few. And that was like for like a year or more, just stuck right there at 30, couldn't get any further, couldn't get any traction. And during that year, I got really discouraged, really frustrated, really, if I'm being honest, really angry at times, like, God, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, you, you called us here, we, we left everything, we came here, we're doing this for you, and like, it's not working. And I got really upset, and, and during that time, God was teaching me some painful lessons in humility. Um, this was the first thing I had ever done, that I couldn't just work harder and make it happen. But God was teaching me, you got to trust me, because this isn't your church, Micah. Uh, this is my church, and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, and um, And that was a painful lesson for me to walk through. But more importantly than that, during that very long and trying year, Courtney was by my side every single step. At times, she would encourage me and try to kind of pump me back up. At times, she would challenge me and speak truth to me and things that I was thinking incorrectly about. Sometimes, she would just draw close and physically comfort me. We cried together. We prayed together. We waited together but I always knew that she was on my team. I always knew that she was cheering me on, that she was my biggest fan in this process, and that meant the world to me because that is the heart of a godly wife. It's a wife that is seeking to glorify God in their marriage by being that partner to their husband. 
And so wives, as we look at your roles today, I want to put this question out before you, and as we walk through the text, hopefully you'll be able to answer this. How can I fan rather than extinguish the flame of my husband's significance? How can I fan rather than extinguish the flame of my husband's significance? And we'll get into that in just a minute when we look again at that idea of significance. But first, let's look at our text, and then we'll springboard from there, okay? Ephesians 5, verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now let's jump down to verse 33. That's the next place that he talks to wives. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, first thing this morning as we get started is point number one is very similar to point number one last week for the men is women, first you have to go to God. Point number one, first go to God. Um, we introduced this marriage wheel last week, right? And this is a, a visual that we use to illustrate the roles of God and the roles of husbands and the roles of wives in marriage and how they all kind of work together. And last week we kind of worked on the husband's side and filled that part out. And today we're going to work on the wives' side. But before we can get to either of those, we have to start with the most important part, right? That hub, that center of the wheel, who is God himself. We talked about this at length last week, that God is the center of marriage. Not me, not my wife, right? Not anyone else that God has to be at the center because as we see in verse 31, marriage is God's design. He created it. And therefore, he stands at the center of what it is supposed to be. We also looked at Malachi 2.15 last week that when God joins two people together, he does that with a portion of his spirit, meaning that he is literally at the center of the marriage himself. He is included. And in verse 32 in Ephesians 5 here, it reveals that marriage is ultimately for his glory and not ours. It's about Christ and his church and about the glory of God on display in our lives. And so as Christians, husbands, and wives, we're called to fulfill our roles in this marriage Not just for our sake, and not just for our spouse's sake, but ultimately for God's sake, for his glory and his worship here on the earth. And that goes just as much for wives as it does for husbands. Now, as we seek him first in that way, as the center of marriage, he also tells us down in verse 33 that he's designed men and women with different needs, primary needs, in our hearts and in our lives. Last week we looked at husbands are called to love their wives, Because the primary way that God created women is is, is this need for security. To feel fully loved and fully known and secure in their relationship with their husband. On the other side of that, he says here, wives are called to respect their husbands because husbands have been made with a need for significance. To feel that they are fulfilling the purpose and the calling for which God has placed on them as men of God. And wives are a big part of supporting and encouraging that significance. However, as I said last week, before either side can receive the security and significance that we're looking for from our spouse, first and foremost, we must receive it from the Lord directly. It has to come from him. And Paul points us to that in the text here. In verses 22 and 25, 
respectively for husbands and wives, he says, submit as to the Lord and love as Christ. Taking us back to that God is the source of all of this. That it all comes from Him and it's for Him and it's through Him. Our significance, our security, it ultimately rests in the redeemed position that we have in Jesus Christ in the gospel. That's what defines us. That's what fills us up. And as we put our faith in Him and the Lord fills us with these needs, it then becomes our job to join the Lord in meeting those needs in the life of our spouse. And we become his primary vessel by which he gives this security and significance, this love and respect to our spouse. And so wives today, it becomes your primary responsibility under God to foster significance in the heart of your husband. And so similar to what I said to the men last week, for you it means this, I must find my security in God in order to foster significance in my husband. Ladies, first you have to go to the Lord. You can't go to your husband first. You have to go and let God fill your cup with that love that you long for so you then have what you need to pour out into his life in the way that God's called you to do. So first go to God. Okay? And once we have that, then we're ready to look at the three roles that God has given you as wives. So let's go ahead and go back to verse 22 again. We'll start there. The first one says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So your first role is to follow. This is that left side of the marriage wheel. The first role for you is to follow your husband. Now, the word submit here in verse 22, I know that that's a, today in our culture, that's kind of a dirty word, right? Like, on, for everyone. Like, no one really wants to submit to anyone anymore, any authority, anything going on. Um, we, don't, we don't like that. And it's very countercultural, but that's not new for today. This idea was also countercultural back when Paul wrote it and when Jesus talked about it, right? Back then, you had the same thing. Men were abusing their power. Women were resenting and resisting their roles in society. It's not that different if you go back and you study Roman culture. But it should not surprise us that Christ's command, Christ's way for his people is always countercultural. He always calls us to go against what the world teaches. Because the world is based on sin. And so this call to submission for you as wives should not be that surprising, although it may at times be difficult. And so I think it's important for us to understand, though, what does it mean when the Bible talks about submission? What does biblical submission look like? And I want to give you a couple things to think on this morning for that. The first one is this. Submission is not exclusive to wives. It's interesting, in verse 22 here, he says, wives submit to your own husbands, but right before that, in verse 21, the verse right before that, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So before Paul talks specifically to the aspect of marriage, first he says to all Christians, to all believers, that we are to submit to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, walking together in the faith. Specifically here, out of reverence for Christ. Because you understand that we, we serve a Jesus who, although he was God, chose to come down to earth and to submit himself to death on a cross for us. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done. 
right? That all of us are sinners and we are destined for hell and yet God loved us so much that he came and he submitted himself to an unjust death. He lived a perfect and sinless life and he went and he gave that life on the cross as a sacrifice for us so that we could be saved. And he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life proving that he was God and saying, if you will turn from your sin and believe in me, you can be saved. You can be rescued from this sinful world and have eternity with God. But in order to do that, first we have to submit to him and our sin and let him forgive us and redeem us. And then we have to submit to one another as we love one another as God has loved us. Last week we also saw that husbands are called to submit to Christ as their wives submit to them. Right? I read this verse last week, 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of, the, of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So yes, husbands have to submit to Christ and to his call to servant leadership, just as wives are called to submit, here it says in Ephesians, to their own husbands. Now those two words are also equally important to this command. Don't miss that. There's very specific language here. God does not call all women to submit to all men. That is not what the text says. It says, wives to your own husbands. To make that command outside of covenant love of marriage is very dangerous. And we see some cultures even today that are abusing that idea when it comes to women in their culture. That's not what God says here. This submission is not about gender. It's not about equality. It's not about worth or value. It is about God-designed roles in the marriage relationship. That's all it is. That's biblical submission. It's not exclusive to wives, although it is commanded with their own husbands. The second thing about submission that we see is that submission is given, not taken. Notice here, when he gives this command, he gives it to the wives. He does not give it to the husbands, right? Husbands, it is not ours to take. We are not called to force our wives into submission. This is not a slavery thing. This is not a servitude thing. This is something that the wives have to choose to willingly and joyfully give to their husbands, He says, submit as to the Lord. Wives, you're called to submit to your own husbands out of honor and love and obedience to God. Not to him, but first to the Lord. It's literally an act of worship that he calls you to. He says, submit to your own husbands, ask to the Lord. And then he gives this example to help illustrate it. He says, as the church submits to Christ, so wives in everything submit to your husband. So think about that picture for a second. Think about how the relationship between Christ and the church works. Is there any area where those roles are reversed? Is there any area in which Christ submits to the church? Absolutely not. 
right? He is the authority. And anywhere that the church fails to submit to Christ is what? It's sin. Because it dishonors God and it dishonors his word. And it dishonors his design for his church. And so he's giving a very clear command and example here that wives are called to submit to your own husband just as Christ willingly and worshipfully, I'm sorry, just as the church willingly and worshipfully submits to Christ. But again, note, this submission is based on roles, not on personhood. That is the lie that our culture wants to sell you to get you to buck against this. That submission somehow diminishes your value or diminishes your worth as a woman because of submission. And that's a lie from Satan. According to God's word, submission to your own husband actually allows you to live into your greatest value as a worshiper of the one true God. It doesn't take something from you. It gives you more in the eyes of your father God. Lastly, submission is walking in faith, not fear. Submission is walking in faith, not fear. This goes back to 1 Peter 3 that we looked at a little bit last week. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. 1 Peter 3 verse 1 says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that, if some, that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Then drop down to verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So right here, God calls wives to submit to their husbands, even if their husband is unbelieving or disobedient. Even if he is failing to fulfill his own God-given roles in marriage, God still calls for submission from the wife, which sounds crazy to us. I see it on some of your faces right now. You're like, that sounds dangerous. Why would you do that? How can you do that? Well, he tells us here with the example from the Old Testament. He says, just like the saints of old did it because they hoped in God. They didn't hope in their husbands or whether they were doing it right or wrong, they hoped in the Lord. They trusted God that he was good and that his ways were good, and if they followed him, that he will protect them and care for them even in hardship in their marriage. And if you walk with him in faith, he says here, you have nothing to fear, for he is with you. Doesn't mean it will always be easy. Doesn't mean it will always go smoothly you have nothing to fear because God is with you. And so God then can use what he says here, he can use your godly conduct to win over your husbands to the Lord. Again, this is a great picture of Christ. Think about that. When we were rebellious, when we were when we hated and we were resenting and resistful of God, Jesus came to earth to sacrifice himself in obedience to God the Father so that we could be won over to faith. 
God used Christ and his life and his conduct to win us. Wives, God can use you and your conduct to win your husbands as you faithfully follow him. Now, the only exception to this is if your husband asks you to do something or tells you to do something that is a sin against the Lord. Right? Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. That's where we draw the line. But short of sin against the Lord, God calls you to faithfully submit to your husband for his glory and hopefully so that his, your husband's life can come to see the one true God. Now, as we think about biblical submission, I know I can give you all the biblical arguments that I want, but there might still be something inside of you that's struggling with this idea today. And I understand that. So let me give you one more picture here that I think is really powerful from the Lord himself, and that is when we point back to the Trinity. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right, that we have three persons in God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all equally God. None of them in any way are inferior to the other. They are all equally 100% God, and yet they choose to take on different roles within the Godhead, and they choose to joyfully submit to one another for the common purpose and the common good of the gospel. Christ the Son, I'm sorry, the God the Son submits to God the Father, God the Spirit submits to God the Son, and they all partner together to redeem and to reconcile us through His grace. Likewise, wives, you are called to be like your Savior and willfully and joyfully submit to your own husband in marriage for the common purpose and the common good of glorifying and serving the Lord. And so as you ponder, as you think about this, ladies, I want to give you this question. Is there any area that I am not willfully and joyfully submitting to my husband? Notice I did not say begrudgingly. Is there any area that I am not willfully and joyfully submitting to my husband as to the Lord? So the first role that God's given to you is to follow. The second role that God has given to you comes from Genesis 2.18, and that is to finish. To finish. We've read this scripture several times already in this series, but let me read it one more time. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And that last phrase is where we want to focus our time this morning for you ladies is the helper fit for him. So again, that word helper is another word that oftentimes I think gets a bad rap in our culture. When we think about a helper, we think about a servant or an assistant, someone who is less than someone else and is having to just kind of do the menial stuff on the side. But that's not what the Hebrew word here actually means. The Hebrew word for helper here is ezer. And when we look at that word used throughout the Old Testament, it's actually primarily used, it's used here for the wife. Everywhere, almost everywhere else it's used to describe God himself as Israel's helper. As the one who comes to help, him, help Israel and save them in battle and rescue them in hardship and comes alongside them in all these ways. Psalm 115.9 says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Same word, help. Then we get to the New Testament and we see the same thing. 
it's used to describe uh, uh, when they would call on Christ or when they would call on God for divine help and for even salvation at times. That type of help is what we're talking about. Hebrews 13.6 says, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So when we think about God as our helper, he certainly is never our lesser. right? He's never below us. He's never our servant or our lackey. That's not the type of help that's being talked about here. Rather, God is our ally. He is our essential partner, without which we would certainly fail in this life. Likewise, wives, you are to be the ally and the essential partner to your husband, helping him fulfill all that God has commanded for your family. I think the reason that we oftentimes have a tainted view of this word, helper, or this idea, is because we are used to living in the the worldly power dynamics that are around us. Where we look around and it oftentimes looks like leadership equals power, and oftentimes leadership equals the abuse of power, and therefore we resent the idea of submitting or helping because that puts us underneath someone else and makes us powerless in that role. But that mentality of leadership and helping is part of the fall. It's part of sin. God even told us it was coming. When Adam first ate of the apple and they first sinned, what did he say? He said, man will desire to lord over woman and woman will desire to usurp man. That type of mentality with leadership and helping is part of the sinful fall of, man, of mankind. And both sides need to repent of sinful pride in leading and in helping. God's design is different. God's design looks like this. Servant leader, talked about that last week for you men, right? Servant leader plus servant helper equals perfect partnership. That's what God's design is. Both sides serving one another, one in leadership, one in helping, but working together in perfect partnership for the glory of God. That's what we're called to. And so this design... In this design, the wife is the essential partner. She is the ally to her husband as they serve the Lord together. Matthew Henry is a famous Bible commentator, and he has a great quote on this. He says, Women were created from the rib of man to be beside him, not from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart, and to be loved by him. Side by side, partners, working together for the glory of God. So he created her as a helper, a partner, fit for him. And that word fit for him literally means like opposite of him. Because we already saw earlier in Genesis 2.18, right, that alone, Adam was unfit. By himself, he was not fit to fulfill all that God had given him to do. And so God created a helper the woman, to fit together with him to accomplish his plan. To fill in all the gaps that Adam had so they could do this together in partnership, to be that essential partner. 
the picture is very much of like a lock and a key, right? I've got a lock and a key here. This lock by itself cannot fulfill its whole purpose. It can lock, but it can't unlock. It can't be used again. It can't open. It can't do all that it's called to do. Likewise, this key alone without the lock is useless. It does nothing. But when they fit together, now they fulfill their purpose. Only together in partnership can either one be what they've been called to be. Two locks can't do that. Two keys can't do that. Because they don't fit together. God has called us as men and women to partner together in marriage to fulfill his plan for his glory. And so we see that here in the finishing role for the wives. That we are essential to one another's success in God's design. Proverbs 31, 11 and 12 says this, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of his life. A godly wife seeks to help her husband rather than harm her husband. And so, ladies, let me put this question before you this morning. What advantage does my husband have because of me? If you're called to fit and to help and to fill in the gaps, what advantage does your husband have because of the way that you're helping him that he would not have if you weren't? How is God using you to fill in his gaps and finish him? So your first role is to follow, your second role is to finish, and then the third role goes back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, and that is to fan. To fan your husband. Verse 33 says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's the key word, right? Respect. And I want you to notice here, I was studying this week and it occurred to me, the word respect there is an imperative. It's a command to the wife. Just like last week God gave the imperative to the husbands to love, Right? Remember we talked about that? That it's command. It's not a feeling. Respect is not a feeling. Respect is not an emotion. Respect is an action. It's a choice that you take to treat someone in a certain way. And so wives, just like the husbands are commanded to love, you're commanded to respect your husbands. And what I, understand, what I understood this week by that idea was this. Respect is given to the position, not earned by the person. What God is calling for here is that respect is given to the position, not earned by the person. Because it's the same way on the men's side, right? When God commands us to love our wives, they don't have to earn that love from us. They receive that love by way of the position that they have, that we have taken them in covenant marriage as our wives, and therefore they deserve to be loved. Likewise, God has put your husband in a position of leadership in your home. And that position of leadership deserves respect. Some of you are thinking right now, I hear that, but he's not acting respectable. And maybe he's not. And if he's not, one day he will deal with the Lord on that. 
he will be accountable to God for how he handles the leadership that he's been given. It's not your job to handle that. That's the Lord's. Your job is to respect the position and wait for the Lord to make him into the leader that he's called him to be. This is just about, this is just as much about respecting God and his design and trusting him as it is about respecting your husband, whether he's a good or a poor leader. So how can you do that? How can, what's it look like to, to respect your husband, to respect the position that God has given him? There could be a long myriad list of that, I'm sure, but let me give you just some categories to think through that you can then see how that's playing out in your heart and in your life, okay? Number one, you can respect your husband by speaking well of him. Ladies, you need to understand that your words matter the most, the most to your husband, even if he doesn't show it at times. When the person that knows you the best speaks well of you, it means more than anything else. And so your words have a powerful impact on your husband. They matter to him and they matter to others. You set the tone for how others will respect your husband. They look to you to know how they should respond to him. Both outside the home, friends, coworkers, neighbors, family, but especially inside the home. Your kids will never respect your husband more than you do. They get it from you. And I'm not saying you need to be a silent wife and always just stay quiet on the side. I, we just talked about you're a helper. You're a partner. And to do that, you have to have a voice. You do have a voice in the life of your husband. You have a voice, but you need to, use how to, you need to learn how to use it wisely. Shout his praises to everyone. And then whisper his critiques in his ear with love and grace. I'm not saying don't challenge him. I'm not saying don't bring up the things that need to be said. But how are you doing it? Think about your timing. Think about your tone. Is it respectful? Now, sometimes when we talk about respect, it's, it's hard sometimes to like think through, like, how is that working in my life? Sometimes it's easier to actually look at, are there signs of disrespect? in this category. So let me give you some examples of disrespect in this category. One would be criticizing. Criticizing him and his decisions and his thoughts and to him or to others, in front of others especially. It could also mean undermining him, whether that be with the kids or with others, and going against what he said or changing it or whatever that, however that might play out. Those would be examples of disrespect in speaking well of him. Second category is to appreciate his maleness, which I know sounds weird. But rather than resent all the ways that he's different than you, can you appreciate how God's created him to be? I'm telling you right now, he doesn't know. He doesn't know how to talk to you about emotions and problems and things that you're feeling but he is more than happy to try to help you fix them. And God has designed him like that, right? 
He, he will give way too much of himself to his work and his business and his job, but he does that because he wants you to never have to go without. There will be times where he's too stern with your kids for your liking, but that will create space for you to come in and nurture them the way that they need. It will be frustrating to you at times, but it will also be what makes him a great fit for you as well. Appreciate his differences rather than resent them. Disrespect in this category looks like mothering. You are not his mother, you are his wife. You don't have to tell him what to do or how to do it or fix all the things that he does wrong. It can also look like taunting, throwing things back in his face. I told you so, I can't believe you did that. Because he didn't do it the way that you would do it didn't make the decision that you would make. The third category of respect is to be trusting and trustworthy. Seek to believe the best about your husband rather than suspect the worst. And yes, even if he has made mistakes in the past, can you trust that God is working on him and working on those mistakes so that you don't have to? Can you pray for him and hand him over to the Lord and let the Lord do that and you just try to believe the best about him in your marriage? Be trusting and be trustworthy. Be honest. Be loyal. Be considerate of him, especially in public. Ladies, you need to understand that everything you say and do reflects on him and on his name. Everything that you do is a reflection on his reputation. Can he trust you with that? Can he trust you with his reputation in front of others? This respect in this category looks like um, emotional manipulation. Playing the emotions and playing those cards to get what you want or to get him to turn in your direction. It can look like aggression. Ladies, when you get aggressive verbally or physically with your husband, it is a lose-lose situation for him. If he stands back and does nothing, he looks like a coward and looks weak. If he powers up over you, he looks like a bully and abusive. There's no win. It can look like smothering, constantly checking on him and looking at his phone and trying to control all the things in the schedule and in his life. And it can also look like lusting and flirting with other men. Trusting and trustworthy. Fourth one is to show gratitude. Honestly, for most guys, it doesn't take much, right? We're pretty simple, just the little things like just saying thank you for those daily responsibilities that he carries out every single day for you and for your family. Making him his favorite meal at dinner time, an affirming touch in the bedroom or outside of the bedroom. Carved out time for him, whether that be time for him to go do his own things with the guys or whatever, or whether date night with you, but just like setting aside a time 
for him. Simply letting him know that you appreciate him. And disrespect in this category most often looks like comparison. Comparing him to other husbands, other marriages. So-and-so does this. You don't do that. It's disrespectful. Last category, maybe the most important category, is to extend grace. As men, we like to think that we're Superman, but we really aren't. (laughs) Right? We are imperfect, sinful men who will mess up and we will fail in our leadership at times. It will happen. And when we do, can you trust that the Spirit is working in it and let him do the work and not try to take over his job. Not try to be the Holy Spirit to your husband. Can you affirm his leadership and encourage him to get back up and keep going? He needs your respect the most when he has lost respect for himself. Because he knows he failed. And you can build that back up. You can be his biggest fan, even in the mistakes. Disrespect in this area means keeping score. Throwing the past back up in his face, recounting all of the ways that he's messed up and failed. Showing how you're better than him. So in these five categories of respecting your husband, ask this question, what do I do that makes my husband feel most disrespected? What do I do that makes my husband feel most disrespected? And if you're really brave this week, ask him that. Ask him, what do I do that makes you feel most disrespected? And see if God can work in that. So your jobs are to follow, to finish, and to fan. And that comes together with that first question, how can I fan rather than extinguish the flame of my husband's significance? In all three of those areas. I'm going to invite Courtney up here. We're going to do some Q&A for you. As she's coming, though, I'm going to give you one last picture, one last illustration of marriage as you think about these roles, both for husbands and for wives. I want you to imagine that you and your spouse have gotten in the car and you are headed out of town on a great trip. You're so excited and you're heading down the road and all of a sudden the car runs out of gas and you're now stranded on the side of the road, okay? We won't say whose fault it is, even though you know who you are. And there you are on the side of the road and there's a gas station about a half a mile ahead. All you got to do is get out and just push the car to the gas station and Go on your way with your trip. If both of you sit there in the car and refuse to get out and push until the other one does, you're going nowhere. If one of you gets out and starts to push while the other one sits, you'll make some progress, but not very much and not very fast. If both of you get out and push together, now you're going somewhere. Now the wheels are moving, and you'll be back on the road in no time. The marriage wheel works just like that. 
as long as you're sitting on your side saying, I'm not going to do my part, I'm not doing my roles until you do your part, your marriage will go nowhere. But if both of you will own your side of the wheel and both of you start doing the work on your side, that wheel will start spinning and your marriage will take you places you never dreamed. But it means that both of you have to own it and trust God for the rest. That's what we're called to. All right, let's do some Q&A this morning. If you got some, uh, yeah, great. If you got some questions, go ahead and text those into that uh, number right now. You can do that, and we will try to get to as many as we can. While we're waiting, um, I was going to show. Go ahead. I got a gift from a church member last week. So, ladies, here you go. I got dibs on the pastor. (laughs) All right, first question this morning. Many marriage books talk strictly about respect for the husband and love for the wife. Does this concept assume that the wife does not need respect and the husband does not need love also? How do we navigate that biblically? Um, good question. Yeah, so definitely no. Um, those are obviously needs that we all have as humans, right? That's just part of human dignity is that we need respect and love. What Paul is illustrating in verse 33 when he highlights those two um, concepts respectively for husbands and wives is that men generally are wired and God has created us to need and crave respect more and that significance more where wives tend to crave and need that security and love more. So that doesn't mean that you don't need it both ways, right? Um, and it just means that there's, uh, that's the primary need for that particular side. And I, I think if you look back through the teaching that we've even done last week and this week, that's pretty clear, right? That I mean, as we were talking about how to lead your wives you're doing that in an honoring and respecting way. I didn't use the word respect last week, but that whole idea of honoring and cherishing your wife, that is respect for her and who God's created her to be, right? Likewise, wives today, everything we just talked about with um, finishing him and fanning him, all of that is done because you love, right? So it's all hand in hand with all of that, um, but there's just an emphasis that is given for one or the other based on the way that God's designed us and created us. One's a primary and one's a byproduct. And they're, 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 they change between the two. Like the primary avenue that a woman feels the most loved is through these things. And the byproduct of that is that she also feels respected. Vice versa for the men. He feels loved by your respect. They are, it is a byproduct. Like they're both significant, but the primary one is different between the two of us. And, but they go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Um, all right, the next one I'm going to let you start with. What is the best lead-in to question or perhaps challenge a decision my husband is making that isn't sinful necessarily, but I'm not 100% on board with? That's really nuanced. That's great. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay. There, I think, number one, pray. Start with prayer. Um, Ask the Lord to help you discern what... If, if this is something you need to sharpen your husband with um, to refine in a situation. Because he does, has given you. Like I kind of use the category. I said I, I feel like there's some multiple 
positions of the the role of the wife of like you're the the cheerleader cheering him on and then you're also the the prayerful quiet one supporting him with your prayers and then there's the time that you're the iron that sharpens iron and you need to speak up um, to help your husband so it is appropriate to to bring those things um in our situation, I have found that when I have done it the best is when I approach with questions. I start to hear, I, I draw in to what his heart says and what his heart and where he's hearing from the Lord in those things. Because that helps me a lot too. It's much easier to submit to some decisions that I don't necessarily agree with if I really feel like he is consulting and hearing from the Lord. And when I know that he's hearing from the Lord, then I can trust the outcome of that. Um, so I ask good questions. I take time to think about that. And my tone matters, too, of how I approach that, um, asking, you know, when you said that the other day, is that what you meant? Not, you said this. I don't make an accusation. I, ask, I try to ask questions. This is not me all the time. My best moments have been like this. So, <laughs> um, best moments are asking some good questions. And then and there's I was actually, I don't have the reference off the top of my head, but there's a verse in Proverbs mm-hmm. that actually says, accusations harden the heart, but questions prick the conscience. Right. Yeah. Right? They and draw so it out. Draw out that, that heart issue, yeah. Yeah. So, there's, there's, it allows you to discern and hear more, because a lot of times, we all have filters, and then we have lenses of how we see things, and you're hearing and receiving information, but you're filtering them through your lens and what you know and and think already. And we assign motives all the time because we don't know what the other person is thinking and feeling. And so when you ask those questions, you begin to hear more of what their heart says and what their, where their, where this direction is coming from. And then in the moment, if there's still a moment where I feel like he's missing something and the Lord has given me, um, we've, we talked about this even just recently, like about in this, this summer, how um, through some life, through some of the things that God has taken me through and, and allowed me to endure, there is a level of empathy and discernment that the Lord has given. Um, and so there's things that he does not see because they are not his gifting. And, um, and so learning to say, okay, hey, I hear where you're coming from. So affirming again, mm-hmm. I hear your words, I hear what you're saying, and I know, I see now where you're coming from, but can I offer to you a different perspective? And then in a gentle way say, I see this missing. This is not how I see you, like with the Lord's. Like you used it even just recently when you were talking about some of the things um, I don't know, talk about this summer when we were on vacation and, yeah. and the conversation of like, he said that me and the Holy Spirit ganged up on him. But, um, but, but there, was, there was a challenge in that. I'm like, I don't see that that biblically and scripturally. And we were already, we were already in a good conversation. Yeah. Uh, open dialogue. Open dialogue at that yeah. point on the issues that we were discussing, right? Like she wasn't coming in hard with that. But um, it was good. Uh, yeah. As, on the husband's side, I would agree with everything she's saying. Like, the time, that's why I said earlier, the timing and the tone are probably the two biggest things. It's not that you can't challenge something. You absolutely need to challenge things sometimes. But the heart in which you do it with, the timing and the tone that you bring to that challenge means everything in terms of how that's going to go and how your husband's going to feel in that moment. Um, just, just recently, 
I had a moment with our, one of our girls where I kind of blew up at them. And, in the, and we were all sitting there at the dinner table together. And in that moment, she did not say a thing to me. But 15, 20 minutes later, when no one else is around, she came up and she just whispered, like, you need to make that right. And she was right. But it was timing and it was tone, right? And then later on, I had a conversation with our daughter and we took care of it. But there's, there's a heart in the way that you approach that means even more than oftentimes what you're saying to your husband. So it's good. And just to say, one little, little tiny thing, like these things are coming in on the spot. So I always feel like later I have like, oh, I should have said that. So please know we are not the word of the Lord and, um, we're, you know, we're doing the best we can up here. <laughs> All right, let's try to hit one more here. We've got just a couple minutes left. Um, what if you're just engaged, not married yet? Do these things still apply? Should you walk away if it's not working? Okay, a um, lot to probably unpack there depending on the situation. Um, I would say, going back to our dating sermon a couple weeks ago, right? As Christians, if we are dating for marriage, then I'm already assessing from day one, is this person the right fit for me in my faith and with the Lord? Are we going to be able to walk in this life together as we follow him, Right? And so if I'm already seeing a lot of red flags along the way in dating and engagement that make me feel like I'm not going to be able to submit to him or I'm not going to be able to, 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 to support him in some of the ways that he thinks and does things and whatever, then that would at least, at least lead to some serious conversations on the front end of like, hey, I feel like we see this differently. Like, how are we going to be able to do life together if we're at odds on these things? Um, and on the guy side, same thing. Like, if you see, like, there's some things here that, like, I don't think I can deal with in the way that she does this or says this or the way she sees the, this theologically or this with family. Or, I mean, it could be a million different things. Like, you need to have those conversations. Um, now, obviously, we all come into every relationship with some baggage. <laughs> um, if you're waiting around to find Jesus, it's not going to happen, okay? So don't do that. But have the conversations, talk through it, and if you really feel like they are not, they don't have the right perspective on their roles and their, their, what God's called them to in the marriage relationship, then no, I would not step into that marriage. You need to know that when they're walking in from day one, as best you can tell, they have a biblical foundation for how they're going to handle the marriage relationship. And if they're already showing signs that they don't have that or aren't willing to do that, then that's definitely a red flag. Again, they're not going to be perfect. They're not going to nail it every time. But are, is their heart there? Are they willing? Are they repentant when they miss it? Are they willing to make the effort to move towards what is biblical? Um, if not, then yeah, I would definitely maybe pump the brakes on that. I was just going to say to... Um should they be practiced before marriage? Um, I think it goes back to the God being the center, too. Like, yes, they should be being practiced in multiple relationships, like not just even the dating relationship, mm -hmm. but like that person um, should exhibit some of these qualities in them because they're not doing them for the sake of the other. They're doing them for the sake of the Lord. It's first and foremost unto him. So you should start to see in both of you these things coming out because it's not about what the other person deserves or what they want. 
but because the Lord has given us these roles and responsibilities. So that it comes out. And then secondly, within that, um, so the Lord first, but then also, like you said, discerning some things. And I, I'd say also ask yourself the question, okay, where the things that I'm not seeing, um, self-examine first. Look to your heart. Is it... Am I the one who is breaking down the movement of this relationship in these areas? Because it's easy to point fingers, but I'm going to just say in our years of counseling and um, in the depths of stuff, it is never one-sided. It's never. When, the, when people are ready to call it quits, there may, might be a big event that has led to this, like a, a, a hard, wanting to hard break, but it wasn't just that one event that occurred. There's been other things along the way. So self-examine first, and then second, walk into it. Okay, is the Lord being clear? And that, back to the dating thing too, wise counsel. Godly people in your life that are watching the two of you, yeah, that have good. been there before you, that can say, hmm, I don't know. Yeah. There's something awry here. And, and we've had situations in, in our church where people have stepped into marriage believing that person loved the Lord and then they don't. And that is really difficult. Uh, and we're having, you know, and they have to walk a harder, a hard road because of that. And so not a, um, and not in a condemnation way by any means, but there's, you know, we want, don't want to put the standard, like he said, don't, you can't marry Jesus. He's not going to do that. She's not going to fulfill those roles, and she'll never be perfect, and he'll never be perfect. But um, can we be wise about, can I, am I willing to walk through this person's yuck and endure with them? Because that's, and, and you need to have that for both sides. Yep. Like, eventually it comes to the place, like, they're going to have stuff, yep. just like me. Okay, thank you guys so much for the questions. Let me close this out in prayer this morning. Um, as we said earlier, we have baptism service coming up in about a month. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in Jesus and you have never been baptized yet, we would strongly encourage you to do that. That is one of the first steps of obedience that Christ asks us to take. And we would love to help you take that step of obedience. So if you need to do that, come see me after service. We'd love to talk to you more about that opportunity. If you have any questions, we can answer those and go from there. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much for our time together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the way that it uh, instructs us and challenges us and encourages us. Lord, I pray that today the wise would feel all of that. And, God, that you would just be speaking to them right now through the power of your spirit and uh, just helping them, Lord, to um, glorify you in their roles and in their marriages as you've called them to do. Lord, fill them up today and um, may their, their marriage and their life be changed as a result of following you and obeying your word. We just pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.